Well, Wave Church, I'm down in Seaboard Road, but I want to introduce to you our very special guest today, and I want to encourage everybody at Great Neck, everybody online, it's Memorial Sunday. We want to honor our military, and I want to just talk to you about who's with us today. He's not a stranger to Wave Church. He's been with us before. He's one of our favorites. And today, I have the honor of introducing to you a member of the Bravo Company, of the 3rd Ranger Battalion, Sergeant Kenny Thomas. He was deployed in Mogadishu in Somalia as part of a special operations force called Task Ranger. The mission was to find and capture a criminal warlord named Mohammed Farad Adi. Outnumbered, listen to this, 10 to 1, the men of the TFR distinguished themselves in an 18-hour firefight that would later be recounted in the highly successful book and movie Black Hawk Down. 19 Americans died and 78 were wounded. We have Kenny with us today. Kenny got out of the army to pursue a successful country music career. His band called Cornbread was featured in the movie Sweet Home Alabama and regularly tours with the USO to perform in our military personnel serving overseas. I got to tell you, he's amazing. Kenny Thomas is a graduate of the University of Florida and a recipient, I want you to hear this, of the American Patriot Award and the Bronze Star of Value. Wave Church, would you please join me in welcoming one of our great heroes of our nation, Kenny Thomas. Come on, give him a big hand. Let's all stand up. Let's welcome him today. Kenny Thomas, we're so glad to have you with us. Thank you. All right. <laughs> Y'all, thank you. Good morning. So um, I got to thank Steve and Josh and everybody that made the decision to bring me back in. It makes me happy to know. Whenever you get asked back, that's a good thing because it means you didn't suck the first time. So um, I'm really, really happy that y'all brought me back. And uh, considering, you know, I don't come in, I, I don't really have a church sermon message. It's still a combat story, but it is a story of brotherhood. It's a story of love. It's a story of hope, and it's a story of leadership. And when I open up, it took me a minute, but when I opened up the New Testament and actually started studying it, I started seeing the leadership principles in the New Testament right away that, that we learned. And when you have it at such a level of that brotherhood that we had it, where there, was, there is no greater love than he who would lay down his life for his brother, I think that the story uh, is, is relevant to what we're sitting here today to do, and that's worship Jesus and the, the sacrifices that he made and the things that we need to remember. So Memorial Day, we can thank you. This is a privilege, it's an honor, and it is a bit of a responsibility because I can promise y'all, by the grace of, am I supposed to say you're allowed to sit down now? Go ahead, please be seated. All right, thank you. Whew. All right, um, but the, that was kind of you, thank you. Uh, but I could tell you that for any of us who, and I'm sure there's some folks in here that have been in a gunfight or two, but if, for any of us that were deployed downrange and you make it home where others did not, you will spend the rest of your life thanking those people that were placed on your left and your right because by the grace of God, the only reason that I know I'm still around is because of the men that were there to take care of each other. And so I'm really honored to tell their story. And I still get to do it. I, I, I'm, I, I wanted to let you know, like I don't have, they asked me when I did the, uh, the AV 
pre-meeting, they were like, hey, Kenny, do you have any like slides or PowerPoint or anything like that? I was like, nah, I, said, I, don't, have, I don't have any PowerPoint. And there's a reason, because I, I was in the Army. If I had been in the Air Force, I would have brought PowerPoint. Um, those, <laughs> these guys had a budget and they're really good at it. So, um, so I really just learned to tell a story. And the story that I'm gonna talk about today, I, and, and there's many different ways I can go with this, but I think what I wanna talk to you today about is just that, that brotherhood, that love and that, and there's is a bit of a leadership aspect in it. So the Ranger motto is Rangers lead the way. And they never told you that that, I thought was something you're supposed to say to the officers, but they never told you that that was a rank, it's not a title, it's not a position. They were very clear about what leadership is. Leadership is the example we set for the people we serve. The example we set for the people we serve. So what I hope you get out of this, y'all, which is funny because most of the time I get to tell this story, it's when I'm out in the private sector in the corporate world uh, and I'll tell them, y'all gonna get out of it what you wanna get out of it. It's like going to church. But here we are in church, so you're gonna get out of it what you wanna get out of it. What I hope you get from this story is there's a couple things. One, when I go home tonight, or this afternoon. Obviously, in a church environment, we got our, our, our congregation, we got our community, we got our family. But when we go back to work on the real world on Tuesday, who are the people we're serving? Who's on my left and who's on my right? Because at any given moment, you've got somebody that you have the opportunity to serve. So who am I serving? And then what example am I setting? Because I think what we do here in this community, in this congregation, in this type of a building is we learn what example we want to be out there for the rest of the world. So who am I serving? What example am I setting? And then here's what I think the story earns the right to say is, and when we need you to do that is when it's hard. Most of us don't wanna go out there and do the hard work. I, I'm one of them, I like, I like it when it's easy. But when it's easy, we can all do it ourselves. So when we need each other is when it's hard. All right, so, um, I, we recognize all the veterans. How many people um, have a family member that served b before them? If you're a veteran, you got someone that served before you, raise your hand, because I want I, you're gonna see a ton of people. I, it's, it's a family business, and the same folks, and whether it was your grandpa's in World War II or Korea, my dad was in Vietnam, for all of us who've been to the desert and made it home, if you make it back, it's never about us. It's always, you should have seen what she did. You should have seen what he did. I wouldn't be here if it wasn't. Our story is no different. It started, it was a Sunday afternoon. We were supposed to be on a day off from training. We weren't even supposed to be working. And we had been in country for three months. We had run 44 raids into the city. We were after this guy a deed. If we couldn't get a deed, we had a most wanted list. And we were making some headway, but it was going really slow. I'm sitting there writing a letter home to my mom, and she still has a letter because I was... Totally lying to her. Please don't tell her. She doesn't, mom doesn't want to know what's going on over there. You're like, dear mom, you would love it here in sunny Mogadishu. It looks just like Fort Lauderdale. And because they were, they were throwing mortar rounds at us every other day. It was a terrible place to be. The guy walks out of the airplane hangar and this is how it goes down. He just goes, hey, everybody gear it up, get it on. And it meant gear up, get on, got a mission coming down. Everybody goes running into the hangar. We're all throwing on our gear. We're all calling out checklists. We're all going down the equipment list. So a squad in the special operations community, a squad size element, because you're gonna hear me say it, it should be 10 to 12, 10 to 12 people, but just like everybody else out here, we, we you know we never have enough. We, we were really shorthanded, we only have five guys. My squad was pretty short. And since I'm gonna mention those guys, I wanna introduce you to them real quick, who they were. So Doug Bourne was the squad leader. Doug and I were the exact same rank, but Doug got the title, he was squad leader, and I remember, how come Doug gets, I went to my platoon, so I started watching, how come Sergeant Bourne gets to be a squad leader? How come I'm not the squad leader? And he goes, 
to this day, the only reason I was ever given, he's from Texas. <laughs> so apparently, he said it with such authority that I believe that everybody from that state outranked us. So, um, <laughs> so Doug goes in to get some mission briefs. Melvin DeJesus was my most senior guy. Melvin had been with us for about a year and a half. He had gone through Ranger School. DeJesus was one of those, you've met him, they're tough guy. Can't show tough guy anything because Melvin grew up in the streets of Puerto Rico. He'd seen it all. And I remember the first time I ever met him, it was this, they were teaching us this block of instruction. Like, man, this is the Carl Gustav rocket launcher. This thing can penetrate six inches of armored steel. Are there any questions? The Jesus like, nah, man, in Puerto Rico, everybody had a rocket launcher. And you're like, wow, I'm glad he was on our side. My, my middle guy was Eric Saransky from Pennsylvania. He'd only been with us for about a year, but he's easy, solid, loved him because you, you showed him, here's what I need you to do. Here's how I want you to do it. Here's task conditions and standards. And that kid made it happen. He made it very easy. My challenge was a new guy. I wish that everybody they sent us was like the Jesus or Saransky, but sometimes you don't. Sometimes you get David. And David Floyd grew up in South Kakalaki, Carolina somewhere. He did not look the part. He was a 135 pounds 5'11", so he pretty much looked like this. And he was, I grew up in the South, so he would be what we call a bless your heart. So when you see him, that's the nicest thing you're, you can say. You say, oh, bless your heart. Because he was just kind of awkward and goofy. But he, he wasn't bad, and that would, that would be really, and if David were sitting in the front row, I'd say the same thing. It's, he wasn't a bad soldier, he was just required a lot of work from me. And I didn't wanna put that effort into him because I thought set the example meant just watch how good I am. You know, if I can do the basics better than everybody else and I'm moving, shooting, and communicating, then I should be setting an example. Y'all, I, I know a lot of guys a lot of operators that can shoot better than I can and can move faster than I can, but it doesn't make them better leaders. One of the things that we have to remember is in addition to ourselves is, and the military is really good at breaking complex ideas like the servant leadership model. What it took an entire New Testament to explain, the military can do it in three words. My, my mission, my people, myself. We put our mission and our people before ourselves. Doesn't mean we don't take care of ourselves. It just means the better that we are, the more prepared that we are, the better we're in a position to serve others. When we can serve others better, the more, success, the more successful that mission is going to be. So my job as the team leader, once I figured out that I had to put David before myself, you know, it took a lot of work, but lo and behold, one day I look up, he was, he was still goofy and bless his heart, but he was a great machine gunner because we put the time and effort into him. And that's what you need. You need to, when the times get tough and you need somebody, you need to be able to look over and hope that they're ready to go. And that requires something of you. It means you need to put everything you had into that person. All right, I beat that up, but we're setting up the story. So the mission is we're going into Mogadishu. It's the middle of the day. We don't like going in the day. Uh, there, any of the veterans in the room, I know this is church, but I want to tell why we don't like to go in in the middle of the day. There you go. They can see you. They're bad guys. They've been shooting at us. Like we, and we prefer that they don't see us. That's like why we go in at night. But they, they knew that they had this meeting on a Sunday. They didn't think the Americans would come in in the middle of the day on a Sunday. So they have this meeting. Two of the guys on the most wanted list are in there. The mission goes down almost like clockwork. Within 10 minutes, y'all, I was on a day off from training. 12 minutes later, I'm on a Black Hawk helicopter and we're screaming over the coastline and we're heading into the middle of the city. We hit target building, Delta teams, 
Delta's going to be, they can pretty much do anything you can think of, but in this particular mission, the Delta guys, the teams are going to be like the SWAT team. So they're going to collapse the building. They're going to bring the bad guys out. The Rangers rope in around the outside. They put a perimeter around the outside of the building, and then that covers those guys on the inside. And that's how it's going down. Now, I'm on the southwest corner with my team, southwest corner of the building. Let's pretend, so pretend this is north. So if that's north... East, thank you, north, east, west. We're going to get a block of instruction on that one later. North, east, west, south. And so we come in from the north, and the birds come in, and there's four helicopters, four Blackhawks that rope the Rangers in on corner number one, two, three, and four. So I'm on corner number three with my guys. The mission, I can hear the Delta guys behind me. They're clearing out the rooms, and I know they've got some prisoners because I can hear them yelling and screaming and putting the little zip ties on everybody's hands. And there's some shooting in the street, and it really was kind of sporadic on the front end, and it wasn't that bad. And I know, I know that sounds odd when I say there was shooting, and it wasn't that. There are people shooting at us, and it wasn't that bad. It wasn't that bad because they were missing, which is exactly what you prefer to happen if people shoot. I remember I had a, I had a, I had a ranger instructor tell me in school once, hey, <laughs> Ranger Thomas, if people shoot at you and miss, it's almost like they never shot at you at all, so there's no real reason to get upset about it. Just stay calm and do your job, right? <laughs> so what, that's exactly what we're doing. We're staying calm. We're doing our job. Delta comes out, and this is where the first hiccup in the mission goes. Way more prisoners than what we thought. Also, on corner number four, one of our guys, Todd Blackburn, had fallen out of the helicopter during the roping, and that took three Humvees to run him back to the airfield. He, Todd stayed alive, and, but we got him back. But now we're three Humvees short, and there's two dozen prisoners. We expected maybe five, so there, we were short on rides. The truck comes driving, the trucks drive up, throw all the prisoners, trucks drive away. I'm watching the last truck drive off, make the turn towards the airfield. And I said, everybody else, hold what you got. You got another vehicle that's coming for us in three minutes. Hold fast. I'm watching that bird, the, the, the vehicle make the turn, and all of a sudden, all the radios came alive. There's a, we all were on the same frequency, so you hear, about, you hear it. There's a Blackhawk going down. Blackhawk going down. We all look up, and it was so... All the Blackhawks had a call sign, which was super 6-1 through 6-8. So there are eight Blackhawks in the sky. So if you hear me say 6-1, 6-2, that, that was just a, one of the birds. Does that make sense? Okay. So 6-1 is going down. We all knew who it was. Cliff Walcott, Bull Briley, their two crew chiefs, Dan Bush, Smith, uh, Sergeant First Class Smith, two Delta snipers are on board. Six men are always in a low orbit pattern covering for us, and they were hit with a rocket, and they're going down. I remember watching it, I remember, I can, and I can describe to you exactly what we were feeling because you felt the exact same thing. In fact, if I close my eyes, because, you know, our body, body keeps the score, and if I, if I close my eyes and picture that crash, starting to go, that little bit of a knot starts happening in my stomach, even after all these years, because I, you felt it. It's no, when life goes down, y'all, and God forbid, I know, I know there's someone in this room that in the last two years lost somebody unexpectedly. You got that phone call. Like, my family's one of them. Hey, man, Tracy, Tracy's in the ambulance heading to the hospital. They don't think he's going to make it. Wait, what? I just saw him two, two days ago. He's fine. No, I mean, you need to get here tonight. Or... You got that phone, you got the phone call and it won't, the doctor's like, hey, you're not gonna like the results from these tests. Or God forbid, you know, I got two little crazies down here and I can't imagine if something were to go down with them. Like even when Scarlett's elementary school 
texts me, my heart goes like that. Hey, we just want to let you know that your daughter's doing fine. Hey, don't ever call me again. Like, like, we're all saying the same thing when life hits us and we didn't see it coming or it hurts super bad. I can't believe that's happening because it's not supposed to be happening. I get it, y'all. It's not supposed to be happening, but it is happening. And the sooner that we can come to grips with the fact that it's happening to us, the sooner we can also understand that it's happening to the people around us. Very seldomly do we go through something all alone. People are always affected by what we are going through. And if it's happening to us, it's affecting them. And now we have a choice to make. And I don't, ever, I don't care who, what audience I'm talking to, y'all. I could be talking to a, a, a church congregation who gets it. I can talk to a team. I can talk to a corporate company that does cybersecurity. And I will never walk in and say, when things go down and it gets tough, you need to do the right thing. Because if I asked every one of us in here, and we are all followers of Jesus, I can still, I would still get slightly different answers on what y'all think is the right thing. Unless every single morning we stood up shoulder to shoulder and we said the Ranger Creed and we said it over and over and over again. And we said things like, I will never leave a fallen comrade to fall into the hands of the enemy. And we said things like, I will shoulder more than my fair share of the task, whatever it may be, 100% and then some. Gallantly will I show the world I'm especially selected and well trained. We said these things over and over and over again. You begin to believe them. It's how the brain works. So what I ask people is, instead of what will you do, I ask them, who do you want to be in those moments? When other people are in need, who do you want to be? Because who you want to be will always dictate what you, want, what you will do. And if who we want to be is the follower of, of Jesus, and who we want to be is someone who is in the service of others, then when people are in need, that's exactly what we will do to whatever level we can. Why is it that most people don't? Take your pick of national tragedies out there right now. Active shooters everywhere, school systems, churches, synagogues, mosques, shopping malls. Like You always hear a story of maybe one or two people who stepped up and did something in those moments, right? My question is why didn't everybody and I don't mean that everybody has to be trained in how to handle active shooter, but in the, in the case of when the community is in need, why doesn't everybody move forward to help? Because the truth is most everybody doesn't believe that they're part of the solution. They don't believe they have what it takes that's in them. They don't understand the power that they've been given as a specially selected and well-trained follower. They don't understand it. And they've been lied to. I, I give them grace because they, we've been lied to all our life. We've been told that if you need, you got to look after number one. Got, got, you got to take care of yourself because if you don't, no one else will. And so in this moment, who do you want to be? The people who believe that they're part of something bigger will be the ones that move forward. And however that looks, y'all, it could be a mission trip. It could be helping your community. It could be work in the community, whatever you do. Most people revert to fight, flight, or freeze. Most people, what freeze is, is do nothing. And nothing, before I, I don't wanna point my finger of hypocrisy, I do offer some grace with that one as well because nothing always starts with the best of intentions. Nothing looks like this. Oh my gosh, I can't believe that's happening. Oh, oh, 
oh, oh, I hope they're going to be okay. And then, and then y'all, I, I, I can preach on this with authority because I catch myself saying it at times. Man, somebody, somebody ought to do something about that. Yeah, and then I hear that voice over my shoulder whispering, yeah, Kenny, somebody ought to do something about that. What can you do about it? And I'm always like, oh, man, I don't want to. Because I don't want to have to roll up my sleeves and go out and do something difficult. Because when other people are in need, something is required of us. If all you're doing is writing a check, that's easy. We got to do more then. There's more we can do when people are in need. And it requires something of us. Fortunately for us in the culture of the Ranger Regiment, we knew that the likelihood of someone getting into trouble was gonna, could happen and we had plans in place. So it was instinctive for us. What's gonna happen is the vehicles that had just driven away are gonna move to the crash. The guys on the target building, there's about 80 of us left, we're gonna move on foot. So it's only three blocks away. So if the crash is, this is north, the crash is over here to the northeast, three blocks to the, and then a left turn to the north. I'm watching the lead element make the left turn around the corner and I've got my three guys in front of me and the last guy's Doug. Doug, I'm moving, we're picking up and we start moving down the road and I realize Doug's not coming. I look back, what's up? And Doug goes, it's like, man, I'm hit. And Doug's hit, Something, he's bleeding across the neck. The medic goes running back to him. Sergeant Watson goes running back to him. Sergeant Watson, our platoon sergeant, maybe spent, I don't know, like 30 seconds in there with Doug. And I see Doug running down the road with the medic with a, with a bandage on his neck and I figure he's gonna be okay. And the first thing Sergeant Watson says to me, he's like, hey, we gotta send Bourne out, he's been hit, you're in charge. And he hands me the radio, you're in charge. And, and, and I, I know I had that look on my face, was like, I'm in charge, like right now I gotta be in charge? Like, I hold up, I'm not comfortable with this, I need to go home and maybe think about that. And then he did something really amazing, Sergeant Watson did. And he went down the road. He let go. I don't even know if I'm ready to do that with my kids. You know, at, at whatever life, part of their life is that. Sergeant Watson knew he had done everything he could to make sure that his young sergeants were ready to take over should they need to. And I knew my guys were ready. Y'all, I just want you to know, I, I, for, for Josh and Steve, whenever they're up there preaching and stuff, there's a ticking clock in the front that lets you know how much time. You should never put a ticking clock in front of a guy telling a combat story. Like it's like something, something's gonna blow up in 15 minutes. I just want you to know that. Um, uh, so, <laughs> you're in charge. Oh yeah, we don't, y'all, we don't have to be happy about it. The soup sandwich that we got handed. Some, it's, it's life here on earth, it isn't heaven yet. And every now and then we get handed that but you gotta own it. Because if we don't own it, who does? And, and that isn't a rhetorical question because the answer is someone else will have to pick up. And y'all, single moms, especially in the house, I'm not asking you, hear me on this, I'm not asking you to put on your junior God badge and be omnipresent for everything, but I am asking us to do what we can, when we can, when others are in need. Because if we don't own it, someone else will have to pick up. And there is no reserve force as, as, big, as, as big as we are here at Wave and as big as the, uh, the world's tough and there's no reserve force out there waiting to come in and bail us out. It's us. 
All right, guys, that makes me the squad leader. DeJesus, you're the team leader. DeJesus is halfway down the road yelling in Espanol. In Puerto Rico, everyone was a team leader. Vamos! All right, like, go with him. <laughs> Saransky and Floyd moved by me, and they both, they both super confident. We're good, Saran, we got you. And we move around the corner. We're behind the power curve. When the four of us turn the corner, chaos. If you can picture the crash is about two blocks up, just off to the right. Uh, a hundred guys are fighting on both sides of the street. I, I'd never seen anything like it. Craziness. There were rounds coming in. There were rounds going out. There were helicopters doing gun runs over our head. It felt like chaos. It, but I still could manage the situation because I was, my squad leader responsibilities were ingrained. I knew what to do. I'm giving my guys sectors of fire. I'm like, why is this taking so long? Sergeant Watson's trying to relay because, hey, the pilot didn't make it. Walcott's gone. We got to trying to get his body out of the wreckage. I'm like, all right, hey, the pilot didn't make it. Hold what you got. It's going to be about 15 minutes. And I'm and it. It's 15 minutes too long. Guys start going down. And when guys start going down, when you have such a small numbers anyway, the gap starts widening. It takes one guy to run and help that guy. Another guy runs over and helps that guy. You got, now you got these gaps. They told us in retrospect that we were outnumbered at that point in the battle, 10 to 1. So you got 1,000 armed uh, insurgents coming at us. I, I never saw 10 guys at one time, I, you know, but I did see twosies and threesies everywhere. And the hard part for us, the decision-making process was who's the bad guy and who's not because they, they were, you know, they, did, they think differently. And they would use women and children as shields to step out and fire from behind. And we had to, you know, we had to make, it's a good thing we were all very well trained at what we did. But when guys start going down, y'all, it doesn't, it doesn't get any, and I don't, it doesn't get any more real. And it gets very simple, very simple. Because it's no longer about, you know, it's no longer about a cause. Like, we, the flag and fighting for freedoms and, you know, the greater glory of the Ranger Regiment, like, those might have been things that we all raised our hand and joined for. But in the moment, what does it come down to? And there's, I'm going to tell you, I'm going to take, I'm going to tell you one story and, and I might go, this might put me two minutes over, but I can, I can tell you this. I'll pull the blue wire. We'll be good. Um, <laughs> What, call this crash site one, you guys. Okay, this is crash site one. When one, when six one went down, six four comes in the pattern. That's Mike Durant. Mike Durant has barely got his bearings. He's done three rotations over orbiting the battlefield. He's been in the sky three minutes. He gets hit with a rocket and he crashes over there a mile away. Two birds are on the ground simultaneously. Everybody is committed to crash site one. Nobody can get over here except for one bird, super six two flies over to that second crash. 6-2 is checking out the situation. On board are three Delta Force snipers, Gary Gordon, Randy Shugart, and Brad Holling. They see the situation like, hey, we got 200 insurgents moving in, 200 bad guys moving on the crash. Miraculously, all four guys survived the crash. The bird pancaked flat, so everybody, they were knocked out. Some of them were kind out of out of it, but they weren't returning fire. Brad, Gary, and Randy make a plan. We can go in and we can cover these guys. Somewhere in that, those radio transmissions, the first one comes back denied. We can't back you up. No, 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 no. The pilots relaying. You don't understand. Our crew is still alive and there's bad guys moving it. Denied. We cannot back you up. Gary Gordon gets on the radio. He says, let me speak to the actual. 
meaning he, he wants to go straight to the top, stop relaying messages, it's taking too much time. And the commander comes over the airways and he says, Gary, do you know what you're asking us? And the last words that anybody ever heard Gary Gordon say were, hey, sir, we're their only hope. He didn't even know their names, but he knew he was in a position to help. And that was part of who he was. All that training, I mean, he was Delta. He, he was Pro Bowl elite all-star. And it was all about in the service of others, not how I can wait for the next you know, draft to up my contract. It was about taking care of others. So they finally gave them the go. Just before they get the go, that bird, 6'2", gets hit with a rocket and it takes Brad Hollings' leg right off. The crew chief is knocked out. There's nobody on the gun. Gary Gordon and Randy Shugart are on their own. 6'2", limps back to the airfield. Gary Gordon and Randy Shugart held that crash site for an hour by themselves, two against 200, until they ran out of ammo. They were, they were both awarded the Congressional Medal of Honor. Everybody on that crash site died except for Mike Durant. Mike got got taken captive for 11 days, but we got him back. And in Mike's story, uh, in the Company of Heroes, he will tell you the exact same thing that I'd tell you. The only reason we're still around is by the grace of God because of those people. We're their only hope. Take your pick over the last 20 years for the handful of Medal of Honors that have been presented on behalf of this nation to somebody. Look at those stories and you ask them, what makes people do such things? He was told no twice. He had an out, he had an excuse, he had every reason not to. Nobody told me he had to do it. Gary and Randy, if you read the Medal of Honor citation, it's the only time in history of the Medal of Honor where the two citations are the exact same for two different guys. And if you were to ask Gary or Randy, I know exactly what they would say because it's what, what I would say. It's what, it's what you would say. They would have done it for me. It's that simple, y'all. It really is. And I don't care how far back you go into the history of the American soldier. Right, here we are, take your pick of battlefields around here in Virginia. Go back to Gettysburg and ask those boys on both sides of the line, hey, what are you fighting for? No one will tell you I'm fighting for the preservation of the union or the abolishment of the institution of slavery. No one will tell you in World War II at the Battle of the Bulge that I'm fighting against Hitler and world, his atrocities against the Jewish nation. No one in my dad's generation will tell you we were fighting the spread of communism in Southeast Asia. None of us in this room will tell you that we were fighting Al-Qaeda, Taliban, ISIS, or the spread of global terrorism. The only thing that you fight for in those moments is each other. Each other, that's it. And that's enough. If you, it's a... Well, you know, Jesus had, he, Jesus had a full squad. He had 12 guys. You know, I, I would like to see, hey, you know what? Cut his squad in half and five and let's see what we do. Um, <laughs> but in the end, his message, if you sum it all up, his, hey guys, I'm not going to be here. I'm going to punch out. You're in charge. Yo, wait, 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 hold up, hold up. What do we do? What do we do? Ah, you know, just do what I did. I just set the example. But what is that? Just take care of one another. It's pretty simple. I'll be back, but take care of each other. It's enough. Gary woke up every morning and he said the Ranger Creed. 
just like all of us. And Gary believed he was part of something bigger. I'm a specially selected and well-trained soldier. Readily will I display the intestinal fortitude required to fight on to the ranger objective and complete the mission, though I be the lone survivor. When you say things like that, you begin to believe it. Please be careful what we tell ourselves every day. We're humans. We're magnificent at selling ourselves short. First and foremost, you are a one-of-a-kind creation, fearfully and wonderfully made. There's only one you. You've been given gifts. You've been given talents. You've been given positions and skill sets to go out there and impact others in the service of others, y'all. I don't know what you tell yourself. I just watched a bunch of middle school aides, kids, and, and young kids get up there and baptize and give, make that commitment and give themselves to Jesus. And I can tell you that they probably struggle. Well, what is my gift, Kenny? It's easy for you. You got a microphone. You got a guitar. You got a... Man, if y'all stuck on what your gift is, I can unstick you right now. The biggest thing that we've got going for us while we're above ground is who's been put on our left? Who's been put on our right? What are we doing for them in the service? And when do we need you? When it gets hard. You know, this is, most of our services always feel good. You know, we love to come in the presence of the Holy Spirit and feel good about it. And that's, you know, we send that message out and we can go send that gospel out. But remember, when we really need us is when it gets tough, y'all. If you need something to tell yourself every single day, I will give you a great one. It is the motto of the all special operations units. Ranger Regiment has it on their walls. The 160 Special Operations Air Regiment has it on their walls. All the Delta teams, the SF teams up at Fort Bragg and around the globe in the dark corners of the world have it on their walls. All the CCT combat controllers and PJs down in Florida have it on their walls and the Air Force teams. All my buddies over there on the teams that are hanging out on the beach with the Oakley sunglasses and the cool guy hair and the tattoos of small sea mammals on their arms, they all have it as well. Um, <laughs> and that's for my buddy Jay. Um, you know how you know, like Jay used to told me this, he goes, hey, dude, Kenny, you know how you know a Navy SEAL when you meet him, right? I'm like, uh-uh, he goes, we'll tell you. Yeah, okay. I said, um, <laughs> This is the motto of all special operations is an Old Testament scripture from the book of Isaiah, chapter six, verse eight. Chapter six, verse eight reads like this. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, who will go for us? Bam, look at, who did that? Like who was so squared away on that? Yeah, that's, that's an officer back there probably. Um, I heard the voice of the Lord saying, who will go for us and whom shall we send? And I answered, here am I, Lord, send me. It should have been called the put me in coach scripture. Send me, I'll do it. When we got to wear the boots, for those of us who are veterans, for those of us who had family member that served before us, when we wore the boots, for those of us who are wearing the boots right now, send me is an easy thing to say because purpose and direction and motivation come with the job. But when I got out, man, I didn't have that uniform. I didn't have my Superman uniform. I, didn't, I wasn't shoulder to shoulder with men of honor and I wasn't going into dark corners of the world knowing I made a difference. And it was really, really difficult to figure out where my path was. Until one day, my buddy Jeff Struker, who was, was in the battle, Jeff became a pastor and he became the chaplain for the Ranger Regiment. 
And he saw me on TV one day. I was doing an interview. And he calls me up and goes, hey, man, how's Nashville going? How's the music business? And you know what I started doing? Whining and complaining. Man, it's like, oh, they, don't, they just want to talk about Black Hawk Down. It's like all they ever want to do. I'm like Kenny the Singing Ranger. And he goes, shut up. And I'm like, hey, you can't say that. You're a chaplain. And he goes, yeah, I can. Do push-ups while you're at it. That's, dude. And, and Jeff says to me, he kind of kicked me in the butt, man. He said, you know what, Kenny? You don't have to be happy about the soup sandwich that you think it is. But God handed you a gift. And if you don't use that gift and you don't tell our story, because your story matters, buddy. If you don't tell our story, who's gonna? I don't know anyone else from Tassel's Ranger has an opportunity to do what you do. No, because even with 100 sermons, I can't do what you can do with one song or one interview. You see, you better figure out what you're gonna say and you better figure it out fast. And Jeff was right. It took me a minute. And I had to, I, I, I kind of had to acquiesce to these, uh, uh, here I am. I guarantee you no one grows up saying, what do you want to be when you go, I want to be a keynote speaker telling a story about combat. Like, it, it doesn't make any sense, but I got good at telling the story. And what have I told y'all that you don't already know? That, that's the key, actually. I, I, Josh and I were talking a little earlier about it's very important when you stand in front of people with a microphone that you have something to say. But what I'll tell you, my secret is, just tell people what they already know and they think you're smart. Yep, so I, I have told you, set an example for others to follow. Hey Jesus, what do we do when you're out of here? Uh, do what I did, set the example. I told you to take care of one another. Wait, 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 wait. What is, what is the example, what do you mean? Look after one another, take care of my flock, take care of each other. But, 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 this, I never told you it was going to be easy. They're going to persecute you. They're going to holler at you. They're going to call you names. They're going to roll their eyes. They're going to nail you to a cross. Doing the right thing and being the person you want to be doesn't always mean it's easy. Who's on your left? Who's on your right? What example are you setting for them? 